Good day and welcome to the Energy Policy Now podcast from the Climate Center for Energy Policy at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Andy Stone. In 2016, the first cargoes of liquefied natural gas left the United States from a terminal on the Louisiana coast. Shipments went to energy-hungry countries like China and India. But tankers full of American LNG also found their way to Kuwait and Brazil, countries that are rich in fossil fuels, and to Europe, where Russia is the dominant gas supplier. The breadth of these shipments hints at a larger impact of U.S. LNG exports. U.S. exports are helping to make the gas market more global and competitive. In doing so, they have the potential to disrupt traditional buyer-seller relationships and may have far-reaching political consequences. Here to explore the geopolitics of natural gas is today's guest, Anna Mikulska. Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Andy. Anna is a senior fellow and lecturer at the Climate Center for Energy Policy and a non-resident fellow in energy studies at the Baker Institute for Public Policy at Rice University. She's written widely on the interplay between energy markets and policy with a particular interest in the U.S. and Europe. And I guess just to get started here, Anna, um, you know, how did we get to the point of exporting LNG from the U.S. and how big of an opportunity are exports for U.S. energy companies? So just about a decade ago, U.S. was largely believed to be um, basically an emerging sink for global LNG. Uh, we were importing uh, a lot of LNG with basically a peak imports covering 16% of U.S. demand in 2006. And the price in 2003 to 2006 uh, of, L- of, of uh, natural gas in U.S. was higher than anywhere else in the world. But often high prices are best remedy for high prices, so to speak. And the high prices of natural gas in the U.S. prompted independent oil and gas producers to see new profits where until now um, there was no uh, commercial viability. And George Mitchell was one of those people. He was uh, the independent wildcatter who basically proved financial uh, viability of fracking already in 1997 and then moved to horizontal drilling to maximize exposure. And that's basically how the energy revolution in the U.S. was born. Starting from there on, the production of natural gas and also oil in the U.S. accelerated to the size that nobody predicted in the early 2000s. Um, and uh, it's expected to rise in the future uh, even further. So so what is the status of exports at this point? I know there's one export facility uh, operated um, on the, the Gulf Coast, Sabine Pass, which is operated by Chenier. There are other export facilities that are in the pipeline. Uh, right. Uh, but at this moment, even the Chenier Sabine Pass uh, is expanding with making actually its third liquefaction train operational uh, sometime soon. And until 2020, we expect to have five different LNG export terminals operational, including some in, um, in Maryland. So we will see a growth of that. Um, that being said, today, U.S. is number one natural gas producer in the world. So that's uh, one thing that we need to remember. Yes, most of this production goes to the domestic uh, consumption. But as of November 1st, U.S. actually is an ex- exporter of natural gas. Uh, so we've moved really far from being the 
largest LNG importer um, to becoming an exporter of LNG and uh, possibly one of the top exporters uh, going into the future. So it's quite a, a quick and dramatic shift in that way. Yes, yep. extremely quick. Yeah. Now, now the the uh, global gas market has, hasn't actually really been global. Um, this may open that market up to competition. Can you explain exactly what's going on with the dynamics of the global gas market? So until now, the uh, natural gas market has been more regional than global. And part of it relates to the fact that uh, natural gas um, is a low-density fuel. It's approximately 20% of density of uh, of oil, which means that now the transportation issue is is much more difficult and much more costly. Uh, So therefore, you're trying to get your markets as close as possible. And that's why we form markets markets that are farther further away are just too expensive. Um, uh, and uh, that's basically what was happening. Now with LNG becoming uh, more and more uh, popular and, uh, and, uh, and a larger part of uh, natural gas uh, trade, this is changing. So we do see now uh, U.S. LNG in places like Spain or Kuwait or UAE or uh, or China for that matter. And we also do see a lot of uh, spot trading uh, as opposed to long-term contracts, which were the basically the, the basis of uh, natural gas trade So that, that spot market is new. This is relatively new. And mm-hmm. The increase increase in the spot trading is is definitely new, and we will see movement towards that, uh, where we will actually where countries will trade or uh, companies will trade on the basis of current prices as opposed to long trade contracts that are based on uh, on uh, oil prices because that's how it's been until now. So, so will the U.S. be competitive in this this global marketplace? Uh, it will be, uh, and uh, part of it is that. Um, it depends what we're comparing to the U.S. LNG to. Uh, U.S. LNG is not going to be as cheap, um, especially for the European customers, as piped gas from Russia, right? But there are other things that needs to be considered. Um, now, when you compare the U.S. LNG to the uh, LNG prices in Qatar, yes, the LNG break-even price for Qatar is much lower. It's approximately half of that's of U.S., but U.S. price of, uh, uh, of natural gas uh, production is lower than the Australian uh, price. So, uh, so we will see that. Um, but really what, uh, what, what we need to look at is we need to look at the long-term predictions of how the trade, but also how the demand is going to behave. Uh, currently, we are at the stage that demand is really much lower than it used to be, and it's, it's, um, but... Uh, as we go forward, the demand is projected to increase. And demand slow down what because of uh, efficiency, economic slowdowns. Yes, I mean the, the yes uh, places that have been uh, major importers of natural gas like Europe, like Japan, uh, uh, have have been uh, have their economies are not developing or not growing as fast. And uh, uh, same goes for China. China's economy hasn't been growing as much as we've predicted. So this impacts uh, a lot of the global demand. But 
the predictions going into the future um, are that the, the demand is going to pick up. We don't know when exactly, but estimated in the mid-20s, we will see the demand picking up significantly. And uh, you will, especially coming from places like China or India and other developing countries. And uh, that will be uh, part of it's going to be economic development, but part, part of it is also going to be the fact that we will uh, those countries will try to switch to more environmentally friendly fuels, um, including uh, uh, basic substituting coal with cleaner natural gas. So we'll see the demand picking up. And then this is when basically U.S. LNG will have its part, just like Australian LNG will and, and, and Qatar LNG. Um, and even though U.S. LNG might not be as competitive as Qatari LNG, uh, countries will want to diversify their supplies. So China is going to be very wary of getting most of its natural gas imports from one place, specifically place that uh, in the Middle East with considering how in unstable Middle East has been. So the, the US supply or Australian supply will be considered more viable and kind of more uh, allowing for more energy security. The same kind of uh, idea uh, stands behind the Euro- Europe and bringing LNG from places like US or Qatar, making sure that you divar- diversify your supply of energy and natural gas and not rely uh, too much on, on one place that uh, including or uh, or specifically now Russia uh, for for Europe and uh, and uh, facing issues like we faced uh, recently like Europe has faced recently with Russian supply uh, coming through transit through Ukraine so, so as the market becomes more global this US gas that's available on the market uh, customers now have more choices of where they can get that gas right. I would imagine that changes some of the dynamics of their dependencies on certain suppliers as well. There's the kind of the political component that goes along with that, yes, I would imagine. Yes, it okay. is. The political component is is, is there, um, specifically when it comes to places uh, like Russia, for example, and Eastern Europe versus Eastern Europe. Uh, less so with uh, uh, but possibly also uh, with uh, Russia, with uh, with uh, relationship to to Western Europe, but there is the political component that uh, that exists and that countries are considering when they're making the decisions in terms of who they're gonna be getting their energy from. Um, in Europe, specifically, Russia has been the dominant gas supplier. I believe between thirty and forty percent of Western Europe's gas comes from Russia piped directly from Russia? Generally Europe, yeah. Generally Europe, okay. There have been some supply disruptions in the past. Um, How might this additional supply from the United States at some point from Australia as Mm -hmm. it ramps up as well, how might this change Western Europe dependency on Russian gas? Is it something that the Europeans want to get away from? What are the implications for Russia? Well, Western Europe is not as... (sighs) There is a concern about energy security in, generally in Europe, specifically in the EU. The concern is higher in Eastern Europe than it is in the Western Europe, in the West. Uh, and part of it is because the Western Europe has been much less dependent on Russian gas than the, uh, the Eastern Europe is. Uh, some of which uh, and countries, uh, some of uh, countries in Eastern Europe are basically 100% dependent, or Baltic countries are 100% dependent on uh, Russian uh, supplies of natural gas. So the concern is definitely larger in Eastern Europe. And um, with Western Europe, it's it's kind of a different uh, type of relationship. Um, one of the signs that the concern is not as large is the fact that we had uh, approved Nord Stream 2. 
which will basically pipe directly natural gas from Russia to Germany uh, and, uh, through the Baltic Sea. So by doing so, you basically uh, are again uh, going back to Russia being the dominant supplier. Um, and Eastern Europe has been actually, and, and Baltic uh, countries have been very, very critical uh, of this. Uh, of the Nord Stream uh, too? The, yes. So they are extremely against that uh, investment, uh, pointing to the fact that we that this is not what's needed to be done, that we need to diversify away from Russia, not only diversify the route, routes that are, the, the uh, gas is coming from, but also the suppliers and specifically away from Russia. And therefore, you do see movements to um, LN, building LNG terminals in Poland or, or Lithuania. Uh, and yeah, are, are those countries trying to get away from their reliance on Russian supply for economic reasons? Is there a political or social reason for that? Uh, a lot of this is, uh, uh, I mean, economically, it is cheaper to get the gas from Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but politically, in ter- and also in terms of energy uh, energy security, uh, it is, uh, those countries consider this uh, natural gas coming from Russia not as safe. Uh, so you, they do not want to be dependent on Russia Um economically and expect uh, political pressure from Russia based on this economic dependence. So a lot of this comes from this. And also the, the fact that we did have, uh, countries have experienced shortages of natural gas because of the issues with uh, Russia and Ukraine has been on, on everybody's minds. What exactly happened with Ukraine? There were some supply disruptions a few years ago, or even right. more recently with Ukraine. And also there's the issue of, of Russia's annexation of Crimea. How does right. that play into all of this? So, that's that's exactly what the Eastern European countries have a problem with. Uh, that annexation of Crimea gave them a signal that Russia might have some other uh, motivations uh, to possibly towards them and and uh, possibly bringing them back into the fold mm-hmm. uh, uh, under the Russian dependence and use the natural gas as one of those uh, one of the ways of doing so. And in some way, uh, Ukraine has been dependent on Russia uh, for natural gas. Uh, basically, Russia has been subsidizing uh, Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian natural gas until very recently. Ukraine has been paying very, very uh, low price for that gas. But it is often so that this doesn't come free. And uh, part of it is that Russia has expected political uh, favors or, or political influence in that country. So once that influence wasn't strong enough that the, the, and or Russia didn't believe it was going anywhere, uh, despite it providing f- uh, very cheap gas to Ukraine, it kind of revolted. Russia was uh, not happy with the situation and, and uh, things like gas, natural gas uh, disruption delivery to Ukraine happened. And uh, later with the annexation of Crimea, this has been kind of more of a political development of the, um, of the situation. Now, now uh, we mentioned a little bit earlier that um, they're also surprisingly, at least surprising to me, there were LNG exports to from the U.S. to countries like the United Arab Emirates and Kuwait. Why would those countries that, you know, first look, obviously are rich in, in natural resources, why would they be looking to get exports from the U.S.? Why is that a, a market? So one thing that I've already mentioned is that natural gas is a difficult fuel, Part of it is transportation, and the prices are not very reliable. Um, it doesn't bring as much profits, as high of a rent, 
as oil does. So traditionally, all all producers or generally uh, would uh, favor oil over natural gas. And that's exactly what was happening and has been happening in the Middle East, uh, with the notable ex- uh, exception of Qatar. And um, Qatar being the dominant LNG right. exporter at this right. point. Right, mm-hmm. right, correctly. So um, upstream investors everywhere in, uh, prioritize oil. Um, in fact, it is telling that some closed or nationalized oil sectors remain open to foreign investment in places like Saudi Arabia or Qatar or Mexico. So these are natural gas is considered not as important or uh, for profit wise as as oil. Um, so natural gas hasn't been developed as much in those places. And at the same time, these countries have um, have experienced an unprecedented population growth, which coupled with uh, energy subsidies that exist there, resulted in shortages of natural gas that's needed for electricity generation, right? And also for desalination of water. And all this coupled with uh, with the fact that we not, they're not producing enough uh, made them actually ha- um, import natural gas. Now, the natural way or natural producer of natural gas that they would uh, they would they should be going to is Qatar. But there is some other issues or thorny issues or thorny history beca- between these countries. When um, Gulf countries have at times demanded uh, discounted prices for Qatar's natural gas based on their association. Um, and Qatar was not willing to give those prices, uh, having different arbitrage opportunities elsewhere. So uh, there is a host of issues that Even actually, though they're all OPEC countries working there. That's yeah. why. Uh-huh. I mean, the, the reason why they actually wanted reduced prices was on the basis of their relationship with an OPEC. Natural gas is not covered with, by OPEC. Um uh, and Qatar was not willing to forego other ar- arbitrage opportunities. Um, so, and, th- and therefore, we do see, um, you know, uh, natural gas coming from the U.S. to places like Kuwait or, or uh, UAE. Today's guest is Climate Center Senior Fellow Anna McCool-Scott. We're talking about the geopolitical implications of U.S. natural gas exports. Moving on to the subject here of, of the, the, the politics of all this. Mm-hmm. So the U.S. is for a long time was a you know a, an importer and an oil mm-hmm. as well as with natural gas is now taking the role of an exporter how does that potentially influence uh US relations abroad because we give it more or less leverage how does it um change our relationship with allies uh to some well it will change um to an extent making a US uh, a different partner to the Middle East um, but I think one of the most important implication um, is that the energy security, global energy security increases uh, as countries such as U.S., Australia, very stable countries uh, politically are becoming uh, some of the major exporters of energy. Um, so the disruptions that may happen in places like Middle East uh, for example, like Syria or right uh, or Libya, um, we are able to cover uh, through U.S. exports or mm-hmm. Australian exports in terms of LNG, um, and this makes the whole global market for uh, for oil and natural gas uh, 
more secure and allows us to uh, possibly uh, avoid uh, issues uh, where we have uh, extreme spikes in specific, especially this comes uh, this goes for uh, for oil, which is globally traded at a, at a higher level. But we we are avo- we are able to avoid those huge spikes in in, for example, oil prices, and therefore shield our economies uh, somewhat more. Um, same goes for you know using oil as a weapon uh, by the Middle East. This is not the case anymore because there are other sources of uh, oil specifically uh, that is uh, that can be uh, actually activated quite quickly and uh, the production can be ramped up quite quickly and not allowing other countries to basically dictate uh, political terms of um, with, uh, globally. These relationships, these these buyer seller relationships, particularly in the, in the case of the U.S., some of the countries that may be um, uh, customers for U.S. gas, mm-hmm. I would imagine that ma- maintenance of those relationships with those countries in general is going to be important to opening U.S. markets. For example, in Asia, there has right. been some recent uh, uh, conflict, <laughs> right. you know, tension with China right. around Taiwan. How does this plan? So this is, these are important things, and I think it's very important to understand that everything is connected. So threatening uh, Chinese imports to the U.S. with higher tariffs, um, we need to acknowledge that this may be faced with actually increased tariffs on U.S. imports to China. Considering that one of the U.S. imports is LNG, and we hope that that LNG is going to become one of the major imports. And China well, is very creates, hungry for LNG. China is very hungry, and it's going to be more hungry going forward. Um, this is going to become a problem, right? Because if our LNG is taxed at a higher rate, then we are not competitive to pra- with places like Qatar and Australia. And and this goes again w- to the relationship domestically. So if you try to develop your oil and gas sector as the current administration or the, uh, the, the, the incoming administration is hoping for, well, this is not going to help that development. So if we do not have the... Asian market, particularly China, as one of our customers, this will hit uh, back home and possibly um, limit the production that can happen within the U.S. and then limit the oil and gas development that the incoming administration is hoping for. Uh, you know, Australia is also, as we said earlier, developing mm-hmm. very aggressively its own LNG supply. Uh, I've seen statistics that say. Uh, LNG supply will increase by 50% globally by 2020, and the U.S. and Australia are going to be the bulk of that yes. new supply. Um, 90%. 90%. So, how it's been, yeah. So how, how might we see pricing be impacted going forward? So, uh, yes, by 2020, Australia is supposed to add six new LNG export terminals, uh, U.S. around five. Um, and the two countries will export will account for approximately 90% of more uh, new LNG exports. Um, especially on the current current conditions, current, de- current demand, we should have the prices uh, being lower because just the demand is not there. But again, this is a long, LNG is a long-term game. So, and therefore, we do see actually development of those LNG export facilities, despite of the uh, low uh, prices uh, uh, globally, because uh, the producers or the, the the exporters believe that this is going to change going forward. That the prices will go. The back prices up. will go will go up. Uh, so, 
while currently the prices might be impacted negatively because of the incoming uh, supplies that are not matched by demand, going forward, they actually will increase. And in fact, this will also impact, most likely impact prices within the U.S. and will actually make those prices, domestic prices of, of natural gas increase. So, but they won't increase enough to make U.S. LNG not competitive. So it's it's actually should be uh, should be uh, positive because increased natural prices also will increase uh, natural gas production in the U.S. and then you will have more output. In the U.S., the gas is is priced on the domestic price at Henry Hub, right? And then it's exported based on that price, and it's competing against gas that's Oil right. linked, is that correct? Uh, well, it depends on which market. So, oil uh, long term contracts are um, are set up uh, at the uh, where natural gas prices are linked to oil prices. So Even long term contracts out of the U.S. Uh, they would be yes. They would be okay. so. It doesn't have to be spot price, but a lot of this, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of trade is now uh, that's going on and will go on to the future. Will be spot based, and countries will be buying and uh, on the basis of current prices as well. But the long term contracts are usually uh, priced based on uh, oil prices. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one more thing mm-hmm. I wanted to yeah. ask you about is about the potential for piped gas from Russia into China. All right. Does that change the dynamics here in any kind of way related to the market potential for U.S. gas? Uh, to an extent, yes, because uh, if the pipeline are going to be there, mm. they are very long-term investment and they are much cheaper. The gas piped to China is going to be much cheaper. At the same time, uh, China is... Uh, China's position is uh, advantageous towards Russia, so China is dictating the uh, uh, the terms of the agreement, um, and China is not willing again to be dependent to a great to to, to um, for majority of its natural gas on one supplier, specifically Russia, which it has issues with. Uh, it has has had issues with for uh, for a while, so. Um, we will still see, even if we will have that uh, pipeline, which is now scaled back. Um, anyways, we will see other uh, supplies of LNG coming in. But again, it's all connected. It will all depend on the U.S. policy towards China and then its exports, right, and mm-hmm. and uh, and so on. So it's gonna be a market where both uh, countries that are exporters will look for diversity of markets to export the markets to be safe. And, Carter, and country, countries which are importers will look for diversity of imports to make sure that they also have a safe and reliable uh, energy supply. So in regards to um, the U.S., and it's going to be sending this gas overseas, mm-hmm. its customers, where have they gotten their gas to this point? So there's a couple of things with, the, uh, with, uh, with this issue. One thing is, yes, there have been supplies, and Russia has been a huge supplier of natural gas, obviously, and, and Qatar to some extent, um, uh, especially more uh, recently with LNG. Uh, but I think one thing that we need to realize is that a lot of the demand that exists today is a new demand, and that's what's going to happen going forward. So a lot of the demand that's gonna that has existed, like in places like in Europe, is actually uh, is less than it used to be. And the part of it is because of the slowing economy. And and generally, um, as countries develop, uh, they 
are uh, more energy efficient. Uh, so you will actually see less of a use of, of, of energy than it, uh, they used to uh, before, uh, just because manufacturing uh, is leaving off in those countries, which we've seen in the US, in fact, and uh, service based economy steps in, which is much less energy intensive. So we see that. And on the other hand, we have all this developed world, including China and India and other developing countries, which are now stepping into the development period, which actually is very uh, is uh, characterized by very high energy intensity. So the the markets that the suppliers of LNG are going to be uh, really fighting for are not the markets uh, as much markets in Europe or you know other developed countries these are the developing countries where the suppliers will be looking at going forward and hoping that they will be able to 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 make their mark and then be their supplier. So we're going to have a world of wash and natural gas, but we're also going to have increasing demand for it. So it's going to kind of balance each other out. Right, right. Yeah. It is. It is. Uh, it's been. It's going to be a while. Uh, mm-hmm. We probably all have to wait till mid twenty twenties to see the increased demand. Uh, but that's what the predictions are uh, for uh, going into the future with respect to natural gas. We've been talking about geopolitics of natural gas with Anna Mikulska, a senior fellow at the Climate Center. Anna, thanks for appearing on Energy Policy Now. Thank you for having me. And thanks to our listeners for listening to this episode of Energy Policy Now. We hope this has shed light on one of the complex issues that impacts today's energy sector. If you agree, please tell a friend about Energy Policy Now. To find out about the latest energy and environmental research and events from the Climate Center, visit our website, www.climateenergy.upenn.edu.